Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey y'all, welcome to Training with Casey, and I'm your host, Casey Covert, and I am excited to be here with my friend and colleague, Tawny Colleen McBee. And Tani, you come from a lot of different endeavors and gifts. Is there something, would you like to introduce yourself and just explain how you accumulated all these useful and interesting skills that you use? Um, I can try. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. For most of my life, I've always had a gift of being able to feel when something was wrong, you know, off with other people, with animals and that sort of thing. And my parents would tell me it was my imagination. Definitely had a healthy imagination. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And just sort of dismissed it. Well, I got into judo. I'm a fifth degree black belt in judo now. Wow. And it sort of gave me permission to to go through with the energy things and kind of feel those things out. And then I got into dog training and I didn't actually start dog training until 1997, but I had been training horses and dogs before that. And I've taught classes, uh, dance classes and that sort of thing. Um, I was a semi-professional belly dancer. Oh, for goodness sakes. Hang on a second. Let dogs out. That's too funny. So folks, Tawny has to go let her dogs out. But what you don't know is that we already started this podcast once. And all of a sudden, another video started playing in the background. Do you know how weird that is? Like nobody was anywhere near that video. Why would it all of a sudden start playing? Now, here's what else is weird. It took me a while to go find it. When I found it, it was stopped again. It didn't go to the next video like it normally does in YouTube. So I said to Tawny, we'll just start this over because nobody will know that happened. And so we'll just start over. And we no sooner get started over again, then Tawny's dogs start barking. So just stick with us. The energy is likely to be wild. And this will give you a practical appreciation probably of what it means when your energy is wild and why we spend so much effort and energy learning to use and be mindful of how we are around others. So why, Tani, do you have an opinion of why your dog decided he needed to go out right this minute? Uh, actually, I had two of them in here, uh, both girls, that oh, my okay. two Spanish water dogs. And you've met Jelly, so you know that energy is up there. Mm-hmm. They're farm dogs. Um, why suddenly right then? I, they didn't start until the others started outside. And uh, to be honest, it could be a feather blowing by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, uh, husband may have, my husband may have opened his office door. Okay. That, that could have done it. it. It's hard to tell with them. I mean, there is a storm going on outside. It's it's blowing over, but yeah, any, any one of those things. So yeah, so we'll explore that more. Guys, this is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to talk about a lot of things that people often don't allow to be in the equation, so to speak. And yet, it is the equation. We're all made out of energy. Check it out if you don't already know that. And so we're all made out of energy. So that means energy is conscious. We think human energy is conscious, but I work with all kinds of animals and they're all conscious as far as I can test. And why should anything else be any different? Okay, so Tani, take us, keep uh, taking us along on this journey. Okay, well, yeah, I just so I just started exploring different things and you know, being a dog trainer was was helpful because I was working with so many different animals where 
you know, when you train a horse, you have that horse, you know, for a long time. Um, so I, and the other dogs that I had trained were my own and you know, neighbors wanted help with their dog and that and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I did, yeah. but I didn't, you know? Um, so when I started training dogs and working with so many different people and so many different animals, it was really fascinating to me to start realizing that I was feeling things. That, okay. That so when you there. say feeling things, can you uh, describe like how that works for you? Gosh, it's, it's kind of hard to describe because it's different with every animal. Oh, really? Um, yeah. It's, I just suddenly will get a feeling about things. That, this is a little bit further on in the story, but it will give you an idea. Um, I was doing body work on a dog and I, I had a business partner at the time. She was helping me and the dog's owner was standing there. We were in my home. I didn't have a specific place at that point yet. And I'd had a candle burning behind me for the scent because dogs, as you know, let out all kinds of scents, especially when you're working on them. Yeah. So I had this candle burning behind me. And all of a sudden I had this fire in my brain and I realized the dog was really upset by that candle oh. and I turned around and I blew out the candle and the dog went oh for goodness sake and my business partner goes what just happened <laughs> I said I just knew that she was being upset by that candle so blew it out so the business partner could see the evidence that the dog was relieved, but she didn't pick up on. Oh, she didn't pick up on any of the energy at all. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It just, it just was a sudden thought in my head. And I don't, I know that some people, when they're animal communicators say that they're talking to them, I don't hear words. Yeah. I see pictures. And to me, that makes more sense. I mean, the animal doesn't speak English, right? So it's me translating what what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. Um, and that's yeah, like it, with a candle, you just saw fire in your brain. I did. I, I just felt a sudden discomfort of fire. And and I realized that, that it had to be that candle. So I blew it out. Um, and maybe I'm- Or more... even if it wasn't that, that was a variable you could get rid of that was related, right? right? And right. and then you got the feedback that that was what it was because the right. dog was instantly relieved. Yeah, it just and that's the kind of things I get with training or if I'm doing body work on a dog or or a cat or any other animal. I've done body work on several. Um, it's just a feeling that I get about things. Um, another super interesting story about getting those feelings. I was working on a cat. This is a, a client that I had worked on all of her cats and on her. So, you know, it was a, a comfortable situation. And I suddenly felt like this cat was having heart problems. Mm. And it's like, oh my God, this is, this is really bad. And I told her, I said, you need to take this, dog, this cat to the vet right now. And she happened to go to my vet. So I called them and I said, she's bringing the cat right now. And told them what was going on. And our vet actually called me back personally too and asked me about it. And I told her what was going on. She got the cat there and tested and tested. There was nothing. Two days later, I had a heart attack. Two days later, what? I had a heart attack. You it, had a heart attack. Hey, the cat was reflecting me. Wow. The cat's like, oh, there's another healer, energy healer. Whoa, she needs to know that she's got a heart issue. The cat was reflecting me. Wow. So I've gotten a lot of things like that through different things. Like I've gotten uh, a feeling about a person who was holding a dog I was working on. I, I kept smelling like feces or something. It was weird. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I, I said, take your hands off the dog for a minute. So... She did, she pulled her hands up. Immediately, the smell went away, immediately. Okay, put your hands back on, immediately smells back. It was her. So I talked to her afterwards. These were 
clients that I had for a long time again. So I was comfortable. I talked to her about it and I said, when was the last time you had a colonoscopy? And she got all flustered and was like, no, I would never do that. I said, well, you need to. She ended up having a bowel resection. She had cancer. Wow. Wow. So I was getting that through the dog. Okay. So let me tell you another thing that just happened while you're telling that story. All of a sudden, another screen came up over the front of our screen. I don't have any idea what just randomly decided to open (laughs) in the middle of our conversation. I will say this has never happened before. And what you also may not have picked up on is in my studio, I'm in front of my patio door and I put my banner up. Otherwise, I melt into the brown curtains. And everybody knows that I'm that you and I are doing this right now. And they know that if they want to come in and out of the house, they have to go through the front door. All of a sudden, my mother came to the back door, opened it up, is standing there all confused, and finally realizes she needs to close it again and go back around. This never happens. None of this happens. So it's not a catastrophe. It's just weird. Okay. Keep going. If you dare. (laughs) It's just, that's the way that, that animals communicate with me is just pictures and feelings. And, you know, they will be a conduit or they might be just they themselves. Um, They just tell me things and I, I don't know. It's really hard for me to explain sometimes how this works for me. Mm-hmm. I just know that it does. And I worked for years with a vet in Arizona and I diagnosed stuff in her wrists that she didn't dare tell her doctor who diagnosed it, but since right. she was a vet, they took her word for it. But you know, I, I felt what was going on in her wrists and that's precisely what it was. Um, I, I just get that sense of something and I just see a picture okay. so it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like when you're first learning a new language yeah the best way to learn a language is that when you hear the word you see the picture oh, Most okay. people don't they hear gato they translate it to cat and then they see the picture of the cat okay so that's the way most people learn languages that's why it's slow for them interesting so but for me i just see that picture immediately i don't need any verbiage in there that's really interesting tani because my favorite dictionary in a foreign language is to go to the grocery store because you see the labels and the picture is right there and then after grocery store like restaurants you know because they've got all the kip dishes, which is chicken, or uh, fleisch, which is beef, or rund, which is a different kind of beef. Like I'm not quite up on all the different, you know, like why it gets one pork name or one chicken name versus another. But I quickly learned all the words associated with foods in restaurants because you had the name of the stuff there and then you were going to have the actual food right there. So I never thought about that, but that's exactly what you're saying. It's a three-dimensional pictorial dictionary. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And if if you can learn a language that way, where you actually see the picture first and don't have to translate, that's the best way to learn a language. And that's basically what animals are doing for me is just giving me the picture they don't bother any other communication because they don't speak my language so yeah and I think that's very helpful because a lot of times when you're talking about energy and what we know and what we don't know people say oh she's clairaudient she can hear things oh she's clairvoyant she can see things um I myself have experiences where I just know something but 
it kind of reminds me of what you're describing. I can't tell you what it feels like. I don't know for sure. I know something, but I'm going to go check it out. Or I'm going to go tell somebody to check it out. You know, I know enough to not just let it go. But it's not like somebody whispers in my ear and says, Casey, tell them to go to the doctor because blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, I, I'm not a person that tells them to go to the doctor, but I was relating it to what you said, but like, uh, animals and their behavior. So I have a person in a class right now and she has a bunch of really challenging cases and she got a new job. So she's about to leave all these clients and she wanted to try to help these dogs before she left their area. So I agreed to help coach her. And we had a most amazing session, but of course the recording failed. <laughs> so we don't have the video from that amazing session. And the energy was really high because this is a healer, a cattle dog and stubborn, Redhead and Merle um, doesn't mind nipping somebody, very sharp, all this stuff. And she would go out in the backyard and attack this tree. And the trainer's like, I don't get it. I don't know what she wants, blah, blah, blah. And I said, do not get distracted by that. And she threw the ball for the other dog and the other dog ran and got it, but she didn't want to have anything to do with it. And she comes and she drops a ball right next to the trainer's foot. And I go, make sure she's clear, but kick it like heck. And she did. And the dog was like, Oh, thank God. Well, it's not totally psychic because I have a German shepherd. And they don't want you to lob the ball out. He doesn't, at least. He wants that quick contest. If this were a sheep, could I grab it right now? And the answer is yes. And this was the start of them unraveling this contentious relationship they'd have. For the first time, the dog is feeling like they get it. They finally get it. And it seemed a little too early to say for sure. But I also advised the trainer to tell the dog to go get the tree when she opened the door. Because the dog was acting like she went to get the tree in order to alarm someone. So they would run out and go, don't bite the tree, don't bite the tree. And I said, so just tell her, go get the tree. So she does. And the dog runs out gets the tree and comes back like okay i did it that's <laughs> like okay so we're in this moment a lot of times with training and we see something or we feel something and we know we know what to do but we don't know how we know and as a teacher i often would have said in the past could i take your dog so that I, I think I know what to do, but I don't know how to explain it. And then I have to literally watch. Like, I don't consciously know what my unconscious has planned. And then after I watch it, I say to the owner, okay, did you see what happened? And then let's try that again. Do you have that experience or is your experience with that kind of thing different? It's a little different because most of the time I just know what needs to be done and I just do it I, I don't and I can usually explain it um and there may be sometimes that when I can't um what I can't explain is why it works ah uh, yes you know it's it's like somebody will say well you just did this to the dog how did you know to do that I don't know I, I just just knew and some of it comes from background training yeah uh, I mean I've done 
excuse me, I've done the, the training stuff and I've done the judo and I used to help people in judo when I was teaching it. If somebody would get hurt, I would take Did you of. work for a vet hospital also? I did not. I worked with a vet who was my vet. Okay. Once she discovered what I could do, she basically brought me in and, and let me do it. So she would send me clients and I would come in and demonstrate things to her staff and I worked on her, I worked on her dogs. So yeah, I wasn't working for her. We were working together. Right. It's the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life. Really? Yeah. And, it, and it, it's still, she's retired now, Uh huh. but we are still connected. Yeah. It's just, just amazing. Um, but you know, I, I, it's trying to get through that, but I've taken chakra healing um, I'm a Reiki master. I've done the work with Marina Ozuna, mm-hmm. who, you know, she does her stuff. So all these little things I just sort of cherry pick from. And I've also learned massage therapy on humans. Um, I've learned some, I, I, I don't, I'm not qualified to do acupuncture, so I don't even mm-hmm. attempt it, but I use those points for acupressure. Okay. So a, um, traditional Chinese veterinary medicine that showed me how to do some of those. So I just pick things from lots of people. I've taken your courses yeah, and those come in there. Name and explain is a huge part of a lot of what I do. Isn't that crazy? Because that's what all the trainers say on the exit interviews is that the single most important thing, the single biggest bang for the buck is name and explain. I'm like, Seriously, because this is how we rear children and we turn it off for dogs and horses. Uh, it's, it just made sense to me. So, you know, I, everything that you were saying and doing was like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Not something that I haven't done before, but that makes sense. So we'll do that. Yeah. And try it. And, you yeah. know, I and don't you can use, look. I don't use anybody's anything pure. Because there's a lot, there's always Reiki going on because it's the energy healing. That's yeah. always there. I can't really turn that off particularly. But, you know, I it's just my hands, my brain, something tells me this is what this dog needs. This is what this cat needs. This is what this horse needs. You know, I, I don't work on very many horses. I work on mm-hmm. my own. But they're big. It's hard for me. I have arthritis in my hands now. It's harder for me to do that. But I still, I had a Somebody tracked me down here through my website and I'm working on their dog. I worked on their cat and I'm now working on their dog. So it's just ongoing. So what about, are you teaching the next generation? I, cause I know you do seminars and you help a lot of dogs and other animals. Are you literally teaching the people, the owners, the trainers how to do this? I, I did when I was in Arizona. I would have workshops for clients to to come in and I would show them how to do much, much modified things with with their dogs. They would bring their dog in and we would have uh, grooming tables set up all around the room where they were separated out. And I would show them uh, Jelly, the the dog that you know, was my demo. And I would show everybody how to do that on her. Or I would use stuffed animals. I've done that as well. Uh, to show people where where those points are and what to do and what to do for that animal. Um, and then I've done the workshops for trainers um, where people come in. They're not all necessarily trainers, but they're professional. Right, they're right. They could be in a different aspect of dog. Yeah, I had one service. who was, she's doing um, swimming therapy with dogs and she wanted to have that background too. So, um, and those workshops, I had an outline and sort of followed it. Yeah. Um, you know, we just went through everything step-by-step step with stuff. And, but if somebody had a question, we might go off that. So I've tried to give people as much as I can. Most important to me, especially with dog trainers is that they learn to recognize that there might be difficulty with an animal with the dog that they're training, look at the gate, look at how this dog is moving, 
listen to what's going on because that's going to help you train that dog. Yeah. Know when you might need to send that dog to a vet or someone like me uh, to work on the dog to make sure that their, their brain is ready for training. You know, that's funny because that's you and I coming at that with a different tool set. But we used to teach everybody starting with bridge and target because mm -hmm. that is how we teach the dog's tasks and performance. And then we just kept seeing that these dogs needed to learn how to manage themselves, mm -hmm. how to cope with stress, manage their own emotions, to understand what it was costing them to be aroused all the time. So we started teaching the owners and what quickly became apparent is the dogs were learning. And the dogs would get to the point where you could ask them to go back and forth between the two states. And as soon as they could, you knew they were consciously aware of these two emotional states, but also consciously able to choose which one they were in. So then we started negotiating. So there was no use of food or toys or anything, no punishment until we get to this point. And there still wasn't, but there was negotiation ahead of time. If you do this, I'll take you for a walk. If you can be easy, I'll open the curtain so you can watch out the window. And the dogs would be like, yeah, well, I can do that. Or no, I'd rather go bark at the squirrel. And then, you know, but it was like, we took the owner out of the loop just by going and teaching this dog. So that was leading to my next question to you. How able are the people to learn from you and go apply this? Are the humans able to help? Um, because mostly it was my clients that I had trained their dog it was very, it was easy enough for them to follow along. And yeah. I have to tell you that a whole bunch of my dog training clients were also my judo students. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. So there was a, a lot of connection there. Um, for dog trainers, it's a little harder because they have their own things that they want to do. I mean, I can always tell when somebody's walking in with like Langers on, it's a little, little bit closed. I really don't want to do this and, and yeah. think about it this way. So they'll be looking at me kind of skeptically sometimes, which I'm sure you get to. Never, uh, never. <laughs> of, yeah, I don't think that can work. That's like, just open your mind and give it a try. It's funny how sometimes it can seem almost threatening to people like, they're so concerned with their brand mm -hmm. or their idea of how things work versus I, I remember when I was coming up through the ranks, I knew what my walls were. And then I'd be listening to somebody talk at a conference or something, and they would start to describe my wall. I recognized it. And then they started to describe how it wasn't a wall for them. And then I'm like, okay, I got to go learn from that person because my wall isn't a wall to them. I have something to learn here. And that's hard for a lot of people. It is. I used, I used to make the mistake of saying, um, what is the thing we could show you that would just blow you away and totally convince you of this training method? And so they would say something like, get my dog to come in, in spite of blah, 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 or get my dog to lie down or get my dog to lie down and relax, whatever. And we do it right in front of them, like in a matter of minutes. And the person never went, wow, that's amazing. Like they were thinking this could solve problems for me. Instead, over and over again, the person would say, 
oh, well, the way we do it is the way that hasn't worked for you for the last five years. Is that the way you do it? But of course, that's counterproductive because that's just challenging the person. But it's like, I I don't even know what that is. Do you like, like the people are kind of like clinging to their problem rather than risk having a solution to the problem that's outside their worldview. Maybe yeah, that. That, that, that happens. And yeah, one of the things that I learned early on is that it's really great to have a huge bag of tricks. Yeah. And that's how I describe it to people. It's like, you may take this little thing here that you're being taught and you may think right now, I don't think I'll ever use that, but learn it, put it in your bag, and I can almost guarantee that a year, five years from now, you're going to go, oh, I need that trick. I'm going to pull it back out and use it. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I try to convince people is like, it's okay to stand here and say, oh, I don't think I'll ever use that. It's It's perfectly okay to go to a workshop and say, wow, what I learned is what I'll never do. It's fine. Because you learned it. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe you will never do it. Or maybe you take it and you dissect it and you think, here's this little part of it. I can use this part. Yeah. That's so, a really interesting way but, to but I try to convince people to have a bag of tricks. And, That's and really it's okay. I'm like such a systems person. You just put me into a quandary. I'll have to go take an aspirin and keep thinking about it. <laughs> The, uh, but I really identify with, I'll never use that because I wanted to be a biologist that more like a naturalist. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be out with the animals that were wild and studying them in the wild and all that. And I went to a school that was very heavy in medical research and cell bio. So I worked in immunopathology labs and metabolic labs and all this stuff. And it was interesting. Like we had to rush blood to a baby in San Francisco whose mother was RH sensitized and all of the baby's blood had coagulated in his body. And so it was this race to get him blood on time. Crazy. But I, I didn't really want to be in the research environment. It was very exacting and not what I thought I wanted to do. And I would say on a regular basis, I'll never use this. I'll never use this. I'll never use this. I use it all the time. And not only do I use information about cell bio, but like um, we were talking, you and I were talking privately about the fact that I got diagnosed with diabetes, but I worked for um, Scott Grundy and he is one of the leading metabolic researchers in the whole world and he showed in research studies with Pima Indians that it was almost a hundred percent reversible and so when my doctor and everybody said oh this is a progressive chronic disease I was like, let me check Dr. Grundy's research. And I did reverse it, which you and I have talked about that. It doesn't mean we didn't change our bodies. We still have to pay attention to what we eat and how we eat and our exercise and everything. But, you know, I went from having an A1C of 11.4 to 6.4. So I'm right on the line of being pre-diabetic and it just struck me when we were talking about it last time that I kind of owe Dr. Grundy a huge debt of gratitude, you know, for doing that research and for somehow allowing me to be part of his journey because nobody in the medical field said anything like, well, we think it's a progressive chronic disease, but you might check out the research of Scott Grundy because like, no, nah. 
it saved your life. Uh, it's everybody we meet has gives us a piece of themselves somehow, some way. It may be very small or it may be very large. So, you know, you're, you're maybe a get... lot larger than we realized at the time. Exactly. Um, you know, sometimes you don't think about it until far later, just like yours. Uh, that, oh, wow, I learned that from this person and never even realized it. Well, and it's funny that we're sitting here talking about this because maybe um, maybe it would be good to tell people how we initially uh, really met intensively. And I had had an experience with somebody uh, and um, it was very worrisome. And I had a series of visions about it that were extremely worrisome. And I had four friends that were really uh, close to me and two were guys that were uh, like one was secret service and the other guy was FBI liaison with other people, you know, that did similar kinds of work. And Two of my friends were women that were healers and very psychic. And so I went to each of them and I said, what should I do about this situation and so on so that I got the go ahead to participate. And you were approached by other people. I was uh, very overwhelmed at the time and preoccupied. And they asked you if you would come in and help me and do some energy healing and so forth. And you appeared and I was kind of confused, like, okay, thank you. But I was confused. And, um, but everything went very well. And so I'll take this opportunity to thank you right now for your help. And that I benefited from that. And that that was very generous and compassionate of you to just step forward. Um, did I seem like a skeptic or anything? Not exactly what I, it was confusion that I felt coming off you. I don't know if you realized that I actually cleansed that whole room before you even got there with water and, and fire. Yeah, no, I didn't through. know that. Yeah. I did. And <laughs> All I had was one guy's lighter and a bottle <laughs> of water. And I went around the whole room and there was a class going on. They looked at me like I was nuts. I was going <laughs> around the room, lighting the lighter, waving it, getting some water down, lighting the light. I burnt my thumb <laughs> because of so many times of flicking the lighter, but I cleansed that whole room before you even got there. Wow, and then you. they asked me to come and do some energy work on you. And it's like, she doesn't even know me. I don't know how to say accepting she's going to be of this, but I'm willing to do it. And I didn't have the only crystals I had with me was a necklace of moonstones. I handed that to you and you just automatically started going through it almost like it was a rosary, mm. taking it through your fingers. So, so you just sort of knew that you needed to, to work with those crystals a little bit while I worked on you. And, and while people are saying, are you guys done yet? Because <laughs> <laughs> they wanted you, right? They're like, Tony. Well, they, need, they needed you to be out there. Oh, okay. And they were trying to to cover and, and take up time while I was doing energy work on you to help you so that you were kind of collected yourself to be able to go out. You wow. said that it helped. So <laughs> hopefully it did. Yeah, no, it did help because um, later on, I got thrust into a similar situation again. And these things, when, when you've had a trauma, it doesn't necessarily make sense. And so I went to report to these other people that there was a problem. And all of a sudden, I had a really hard time 
articulating because my knees just started shaking so much. And that's very distracting because your body's trying to tell you something, but your intention is to deliver information. I can't even imagine having gone up there to try to address the group and having that as you know a side effect that you had to get through you know like you're you're trying to talk about how to train animals and to help them and so on and all of a sudden it's like you have parkinson's disease or something like that so that was huge what do you like to tell people to do before there's a problem? Is, are, is there stuff? Okay, like for me, you went into that room and cleansed it. And that's an energy exercise. We go and we get, for example, a new pu puppy. And I'm always unpopular because I tell people, keep your puppy at home for 30 days. Do things with them at home, but don't take them out because... The, he can't even do homeostasis for 30 days. So like ease up on him and then go out and take him around to all the, your friends and all that kind of stuff. What would you tell people about a new puppy? The well, set up for success. It's interesting that you're asking me that question because I have a friend who's a former dog trainer who. Uh, she lost a dog not too long ago and she, did, they, she and her husband decided to do a puppy this time it's, okay. it's a four, four month old puppy it's not tiny tiny but yeah, they went and got a puppy and she'd had this puppy two days and she decided to take this puppy to a puppy socialization class okay. with mm -hmm. a trainer of whose philosophy she didn't even agree with Ooh. and she said she was on her way there and she kept saying, this might not be a good idea. And I said, you needed to listen to yourself. So she called me after the class and she was just beside herself, which isn't good for the puppy. So I was talking her down with that. And I told her, this puppy doesn't even know you yet. Yeah. You've brought this puppy into your home. It's in a brand new place. And my thought process on that is like, it's being, bringing a new puppy in. It's like being adopted yeah, or kidnapped. You kidnapped. Kidnapped. Like you're hoping they're especially, nice. especially with an older dog. It's like being kidnapped, taken to a foreign country where you don't understand the language. You, the food is different. Everything smells weird. And you are scared to death. So you shut down. You need to give them time to settle in. Uh, we are actually, yeah, we're of a and, and work with that. I'm not sure that I would say 30 days, okay. but definitely at least two weeks. You need to take time with this puppy or even an older dog and let them just be. Get so, them uh, used to the food, the energy, everything. Everything. Else there. everything. However, I would say probably two weeks. And at that point, okay, so I'm let me not tell going to you, recommend that you take them to a class. Certainly. Said, you said you'll take, you would recommend that you take I would them. not recommend them oh, taking right them away, to a yeah. class or anything structured. But I have myself, back when I had little puppies, I actually went and got one of those baby things where you carry a baby, you know, like a sling. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way I carried the puppy around. Because <laughs> then I could have a hand free, right? Yeah. And know that I had the puppy contained. And I would maybe go to the feed store or something like that, where it was pretty low key. Mm -hmm. And people would, oh, thank you. And I go, well, we're not going to hand right now. We're not going to handle. But, you know, I just need them to get used to sounds and noises. And they're, they're right with me. So let me tell you where the 30 days comes from, because that's sure. not from me. That is from the pathologists at all the zoos I've worked with. Okay. So the uh, blood gases tend to get thrown off and the animal cannot correct them for at least 30 days. Okay, that makes and, sense. And with a change as 
uh, strenuous or as big as a move, or if they lose a friend or a spouse or, and with a move, they kind of do both those, right? They lose their previous family and so on. They have a three times greater chance of illness or death for an entire year. And so at zoos, they always quarantine an animal for at least 30 days. And a lot of people think that that's because we're afraid that the other place sent us an animal with disease. And that's not it at all. We know they sent us an animal with disease because everybody carries bacteria on them that aren't actively making them ill. In fact, all your gut biome, it can be very beneficial or it can express itself in a different way and be fatal. And uh, another example of that is like green food, you know, super green food, chlorella and spirulina, and those are blue-green algaes. And they can also produce deadly toxins. Right. So um, these, everything, everything in the body needs a chance to equilibrate and not go this other direction, become toxic. And I, so I should think we're kind of saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Because, because I'm I'm not saying to take them out into anything big. We're saying the same thing. I'm just saying yeah. that where I got the 30 days from instead of two weeks yeah. is from those guys. And they were basing it on if the animal cannot c- correct his blood gases his acidity versus his alkalinity of his bloodstream he needs to not be having more things to worry about that's what and 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 that makes perfect sense yeah Yeah. and and i would i would agree with you about nothing no exertion or anything i would just i was more thinking of taking the puppy with me yeah no i agree and and let's face it they mostly do they mostly thrive with it anyway. Yeah. And, and I, I but taking him to a class is like two days after you got the puppy, I've had a heart attack. It's like, what were you yeah. thinking? Yeah. Especially to one where she knew she was going to be anxious. Well, and also I mean, like that. you're going to accommodate the dog energetically. Also, you're going to like going someplace within uh, less than 30 days with you is going to be different than going someplace in less than 30 days with somebody that isn't attuned to the dog and doesn't know how to support him and so on. That's very true. All I was trying to communicate really is that I got that from a specific place and it's not my idea. If I went by what it looked like to me, I would just keep them quiet for a week or something like that. They were very adamant with us. So anyway, everybody make your own decision, but Here's two of us saying use caution at the beginning. And um, and I'm communicating that the zoo pathog- pathologists were very adamant about the amount of time. And well, just yeah, discretion being the better part of valor, I would absolutely go with your suggestion over mine, partly based on the fact that somebody else may not keep that animal quiet. When they went yeah, to- well, and also you said a, a very important two thing, uh, important thing also. If you've got the dog with you and you're supporting it and you take it someplace with you, that's different than taking him to a puppy class where all these other dogs are being exposed to him because then not only is it all the newness, but it's all the possible pathogens. Well, and it's also that too, but it's also the anxiety of the, of the owner. Yeah, that's going to translate right to that puppy. I mean, all that, the anxiety goes right down the leash. That, that is such an excellent point. Yeah, it's such it, an it's excellent just, point. All of that, you've got to remain calm. So if you're not able to remain calm and just calmly tell people, oh, thank you. It is a cute puppy, but we're not going to do handling right now. Yeah, if like if you see somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And if And if you're in the audience, and you have a chance to meet somebody's puppy, admire it, keep your hands off him. Just yeah. love him from afar. And Actually, that would go to anybody's dog. You have no really, right to walk up to anybody's dog and pet them. You have yeah. no right to do that. 
You wouldn't do that to somebody's little kid. I was just going to say, just think, put yourself in that dog's position. I mean, seriously, some, some other, you know, gender come up or anybody came up and started stroking your face and your head, you'd be a little wigged out. Well, think about if you had your child with you and somebody goes, oh, is that such a cute little kid? Can I have? And you'd probably slug them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah. and I would, but. <laughs> yeah, I know. But people think nothing of doing that to a dog. And it's like, why would you do that? No. <laughs> yeah. So guys, that's that's a good take home. And even if it's not a puppy. If the dog is new to your household, just be easy, be easy on the beginning. What else? We're, we're getting close to the end of our time. And I think that's great because this means we can talk again because we've only just barely started. But um, it is, are there some things that you particularly would like people to have to take forward with them right now or to think about? I think probably the basic thing is just pay attention. Um, watch your dog, cat, horse, wh whatever animal you have, watch them. And, you know, I, I'm going to say listen to them, but yeah, obviously they're not talking, so you can't listen that way. But pay attention to the body language. That's how they communicate. And I, I most people, if they're open to it, are going to figure out when an animal's uncomfortable. Yeah. And back off. You know, and it just, I, I just get so upset with people that just come right into the dog's face and, you know, it's, well, yeah, I get in my dog's faces, but I've gradually done that. Well, and it's kind of by mutual invitation, right? Yes. But yeah, just pay attention to their language because if if you pay attention, a dog will tell you when they need to go outside. Yeah. A dog will tell you when they're not feeling well. I mean, I know, I'm aware that they're pretty stoic and don't really show a lot, but they will tell you. Yeah. You know, if you pay attention, they'll tell you what's uncomfortable. You know, but yeah. if you're not paying attention, then... And there's a lot of embodied language. We talk about it a lot uh, in our classes. In fact, I, I wrote a little tiny, tiny manual on it called Talk to Me. And it's about the different levels of communication because we can be so confusing to not just dogs, everybody. So if you tell a dog, it's okay, but you're scared about what's going to happen, of course, <laughs> The dog is uh, classic vet office. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it's better to say I'm scared too. Yeah, we may not make it out alive, but we're going to do it together. <laughs> Rather than to sit there and tell them a lie. Or I've seen a lot of people try to distract an animal with food and then stick a needle in their behind. Oh. Not a good idea. No long-term relationship damaging so, I, I have so many vets who you know when the first time when i'm seeing them like looking at me like i'm crazy because i'm explaining to my dog what's going to happen <laughs> to them. there's going to be a poke and then it's going to be over with yeah it's gonna happen, but it'll be over with and it literally takes like less than two minutes to prepare a dog for an injection that way yeah i I tend to use a uh, visualization because I'm getting pictures from them. I'm hoping they get it. I'm me. right so, with you. You know, I do yeah. a lot of visualization of things of, you know, this, this is going to poke, it's going to hurt, then it's going to be done and you'll forget about it a little bit. And those are layers of communication. You have your biochemistry, like, are you frightened? Are you spewing out butyric acid? So the animal's panicking. Are you confident are you standing um one thing like we'll talk with people about are you standing confidently but with animals i noticed that are you standing athletically so a lot of us have de 
develop sloppy posture and we hang forward, especially as we get older. And the dog knows you can't move correctly that way. If I, I had an actual friend who was having a hard time walking the dogs on the beach. And I noticed that he leaned forward like so. And I said, just try this. Head up, open your shoulders and keep your knees bent a little bit and problem disappeared. And that particular one is such a problem that the rule for zoo trainers is you do not sit on the ground because when you sit on the ground, it's almost like begging the animal to come up and challenge you. Like, oh, I see you feel so comfortable that you can just sit on the ground, but can you get up fast enough? And it's like, nobody wants to do that exercise, but they will, you know, they see that you're not ready and they're like, well, I guess we're feeling confident. Yeah. There, there's a whole attitude of being around animals. And it's, I, I, when I'm doing training with people, that's, I'm teaching them that as well. Of Okay. Now I love, I love your attitude around animals. And I know what I would say it is. But I don't want to say it. I, I, you tell me what the attitude that you think we need to approach animals with. Confidence and compassionate would probably cover it. Yeah, you're totally transparent with them. Yes. You you just you're not trying to be somebody different. You're not baby talking them. Yeah, uh, never. I get so upset. I had a vet, vet tech, the other day holding jelly when we were doing an ultrasound. Uh -huh. <laughs> I swear the dog was telling her, "Shut up!" She was talking baby talk to her. Jelly yeah. hates to have baby talk to her. Hates it. Well, I kept telling her, "Easy, easy." <laughs> I had a tough time keeping her at easy because this woman said her talking baby talk to her. It would do that to <laughs> me. Oh, I mean, think back to the family reunions where somebody comes up and yeah. <laughs> yeah. pinches your cheek or whatever. You can't wait to get out of there. But I mean, it, it's really a sign that you are not being seen. You are not seen as an intelligent adult. You are being treated like a baby that doesn't know what's up. And frankly, even babies know that much already. They come out knowing that much. Yeah, that's, it's just something um, the the vet was talking to me about, because obviously Jelly doesn't have much longer. She has a tumor. Um, and I said, I'm pretty pragmatic. I, I just, I'm realistic. I'm calm. I, I just don't come unglued. You know, am I upset? Yes. Yeah, like I, I would miss this. But habit. the dog doesn't need me to be upset. She needs me to be strong, confident. Yeah. But with compassion. Because confident people come across sometimes as being stern. And that's not, not what's needed most of the time. Sternness, of course, has its place. But it's not what's needed most of the time. That's why you no, have I to totally temper agree. it with compassion. I totally agree. And I just put a video, an old video working with Rocky. And the backstory on it is he had learned to work himself up into a frazzle in order to walk, to milk the walk to the exercise area into a huge dopamine harvest. <laughs> and so we'd been working on changing that. And I knew how to end it entirely, but I realized that once he created that problem, he had to learn the hard way to uncreate it. And then finally he did. And I was able to just go ahead and fence the backyard. And it's like, you can go whenever you want to. There is no more walk to the exercise yard. But in that video that I just posted, uh, he, he had just learned how to do that. So I was working him in front of the exercise yard. I don't know, about 50 feet away from it or something. And we were doing healing exercises. 
and he kept like like he he was trying to get back into that thing like I could go to the exercise yard but he didn't and when I watch myself working with him I, I don't watch my own training videos very often but I was very like hey you can do this let's go la 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 you know it was like there's very little point in telling an animal no, unless you're at that cusp between you've got a choice here, make this one. Nope, that's not it. Good. That one's it. You know, like it's totally feedback. Mm -hmm. But if you're at the point of having to yell no at an animal, like to tell him he just did something you don't like, it just seems like a lot of times you just confirmed that he was able to upset you and he might use that next time. You know, like it doesn't really have a training benefit. Yeah. Do you find well, that too? or? Well, I think there's value in, in an animal understanding what no means and that no means no. Yeah. But, you know, most people carry it too far. Yeah. Like, it, like it's, it's to me, it's like, no. And then I go right back to what I was doing. Exactly. So it's, it's not a, I'm mad and I'm going to stay mad because you did this. So it's no, and it, it's like, I, I worked with a trainer years ago who did no, 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 right in a row. It's like, why? First of all, the dog doesn't understand it. Yeah. You know, it's no. And then go right back to where you were. It's over yeah. with, it's done. Yeah, no exactly. This is, this is critical feedback. This is not like, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or scare you or anything else. And the opposite side of it is there are a bunch of people that are saying that we shouldn't say no to a dog. Yes, I've heard that before. And I'm sorry, it's information to me. And it I, there was a trainer in Arizona that I knew of. I never worked with her, but she said, you should never say no. You, you use it. It's like, what's the difference? Yeah. Whether it's yet or no, or whatever, we're, whatever language you're speaking in. It's the fact that when you say no, your body does this. So that no comes about now emphatic. Yeah. And so does it. But yes, doesn't because yes is impossible to say that way because it's a soft sound. Although we did sound charts on yes, you'd be surprised. I I really don't like yes as a bridge. Well, I don't either, but I but, don't no way. I got it. Okay, go ahead. We did we did the sound charts on it, and it turns out it's very good, like a an X. I'm like, yo. See, that's where my ideology got ahead of me. And then I'm like, yes, let's test it because I want to show people why this is such a bad bridge. Uh, never mind. Yeah. So. Well, I'll, I will use it sometimes as a praise. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like I, Martin Dealey used to use yes a lot with, with that sort of thing. Well, um, not, I use it a lot with it my a, horse. It was perfect. It was fine. The way he You're talking and you say, can you do this? Da, da, da. And you go, yes. And they get it. They know yeah. that. And it's, it makes sense for us. It's partly because your body language does it. Because when I say too. no, my body gets this. When I say yes, my body gets soft and opens. Now I did the video. I know you saw this um, before, but I, if you remember, it was a video and I had a intern from the Netherlands who was fantastic. And she was showing Sarah, my horse, a pair of objects. And Sarah knows and has been tested on well over 500 words and concepts and can use them all no problem but she can't pick a word out of the 500 so it's like how can we show people the scope of the words that sarah knows and all this and so annette took a pair of items and out of that pair she showed sarah one of them so then i back into the frame and i say is it let's say cell phone or hoof pick and Sarah would just come forward and touch whichever one it was 
And um, she got over 93% accurate. But what I didn't notice at the time that another trainer picked, uh, told me, made me aware of, and I had already seen this video at least 10 times, is if it was cell phone and I said, is it a cell phone or hoof pick? When I said cell phone, Sarah go. And then when I said hoof pick, it was like, oh, she's so dear, but she's not very bright. And she would just come over. You know, she, if it, if I didn't give her the right choice first, yeah. she would just gently come over and tell me what the right choice was. But it was almost like she was like, oh, poor thing. But <laughs> every time I got it right at the beginning, yes. So I figure Sarah's clairvoyant and she thinks she's coaching my psychic skills. <laughs> and so if I got the transcription, you're loud and clear, then I'm making progress, but maybe not. Well, Tani, I am looking forward to doing this again. And one of the things um, I know I want to talk to you about is how you are pasturing your horses. Because I know it's interesting and I would love to compare notes. So sure. yeah, maybe I could lure you back to talk to us on another podcast soon. Yeah, I think I lived through this one. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, thank you all for joining us for a bit of your time. Please share this podcast with your friends. You'll contaminate their minds. And we'd appreciate that. Y'all take care and we'll see you soon. Good night, Tawny. Thank you, Casey. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Covert. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.